Trevor, do you feel like you have cemented yourself as the Cy Young winner? I don't see how you can see it any other way. Better. We're good and we're better. I like this team much more than I like those teams. And I, I really like those teams. Um, but I think, I think we're a nightmare. And... Speaking of fucking nightmares, sports intoxication is back, and as per usual, our timing could not be better, because this is your Reds playoff preview after there's already been a Reds playoff game. Um, like, that's kind of how we do business. Like, um, you know, sometimes it's a day late and a dollar short, but we're here. Sports intoxication, back at you, celebrating... A berth in the playoffs for the Reds. And uh, as you probably know by now, a very interesting and lot to unpack game one of the National League. I don't even know what this is called. Wild card round? Yes, yeah. it is. Oh, nailed it. Um, so I'm joined by the usual. Matt's back. He missed yeah. us last week. Everybody missed him. Thanks, guys. Um, and as always, Brian Chase. Hey guys. And today was, uh, a 13 inning marathon for the Cincinnati Reds and the Atlanta Braves in Atlanta. That was won by the Atlanta Braves one to nothing as the score would indicate quite the pitcher's duel between Trevor Bauer and Max Freed, Freed, Max Freed. I don't know why I said it like that. Uh, and then deep into both teams' bullpens, which we can talk about um, a little bit about that too. Because well, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. But um, I think the first thing we just got to talk about is raw emotion, because this game was a, as Joey would say, uh, it was a fucking <laughs> roller coaster. So, uh, and I think that. We're just gonna jump right into this because because uh, Matt, you had some some thoughts and some things that you wanted to ask. Uh, so how, how how's everybody feeling? Not great. <laughs> I mean, how could you feel anything other than just dejected after that? It was such a Cincinnati way to lose. It's like they they literally took easy baseball plays that they make ninety percent of the time, like scoring from second base on a single to the outfield. Um, I, I can't even – getting thrown out at third base, trying to stretch from first to third. It's like these are plays that you just – you should be making in your sleep when you're in the major leagues, and they couldn't do it today. And Ryan, we talked about this uh, before, but did you have flashbacks to 2012 on the first to third? Yes, it was it was like that exact same game. I, we were both at that game, Sox, and when that happened, it was like, well, shit, there goes all their momentum. But I felt that way after the first inning when they had first and third no outs and they can't get a run in. I don't know. It's just they the the sports teams in Cincinnati, the professional sports teams, just keep finding ways to uh, crush their fans' souls in more disturbing ways every season, it seems. And for the flip side, Matt, how are you feeling? Uh, I mean, I'm certainly disappointed, right? I mean, I there's no other way to feel after that. You waste an unbelievable outing by Trevor Bauer. Um, on the flip side, Atlanta got a hell of a start from a guy – coming off an injury and and maybe that's the Reds fault for their approach today. I think that, I I don't know. Um, Disappointed is probably the word that I use more than dejected or, you know, upset. Yeah. I mean, sure. They should have won the game, but am I really surprised that they lost? No. Um, Atlanta's a damn good team. Um, and you can't make those mistakes that they did today. Um, Atlanta really didn't make any mistakes, uh, really, um, that the Reds did. 
Yeah, the, uh, the only mistake that you could say the Braves made is when they had the guy on third with one out and they had a foul out. But that's yeah. that happens. Right. Um, I mean, the Reds, they, they definitely blew opportunities to win this game. And that is something that if we're sitting here on Friday night and they haven't won this series, then, yeah, I'm probably going to be looking back at this game a lot more mad than I am right now. Um, but you know, the way I look at it is they have the two better pitchers going the next two days and, you know, maybe we'll run into a ball or two. And and that's really, that's kind of what I've been saying this whole year um, on our little group chat that we have is that this team lives and dies by the long ball. That is how they're built. Um, and you can disagree with that all you want, but that is just the fact of the matter. They're two and 15 in games that they haven't hit a home run in this year. Um so if they don't hit a home run, they ain't winning. And you know they didn't do it today. They I didn't do they, it. Good. I mean, they didn't do it in 17 games during the season. So it's an anomaly for the year that they had. And if that game is played at Great American Ballpark today, Suarez hits a home run on that fly ball. He hit the left field. Um, so this team is built for power in Great American Ballpark. And unfortunately, when you go to big ballparks like Atlanta is. If you're not hitting the ball on the screws, you're not going to hit home runs. And, yeah, they made stupid base running mistakes. I really wish they would hit the ball. Just get the ball and play. I don't care if you hit into a double play. Make Atlanta beat you. But, Matt, you're all about the home run. You don't care about average. Well, I I just wish they would hit the ball and play. Well, you can't have your cake and eat it too, buddy. Absolutely you can if you hit it, if you hit a ground ball to second base, Brian, that's better than striking out. You're preaching to the, you're preaching to the choir here. I'd rather have guys that put the ball in play than hit tons of home runs. But your opinion said, has been, I wish they would. This <laughs> yeah. team doesn't do that. Everything in playoff baseball amplifies everything. Playoff baseball shows your team's weaknesses more so than it does in the regular season. If you play bad defense. And then you do that in the playoffs, that's usually going to result in runs that cost you the game. If you don't hit in clutch situations or have no hitters on your in your lineup that are good in situational, situational hitting situations, um, then you're like those things are going to the, the spotlight's going to be shown on those things during playoff baseball. Um, and everybody's just more amped up. Like, um, like Matt said, the, the starting pitcher for Atlanta. Uh, Max Farid, Freed, uh, again, I said it weird. Uh, F, period. He, 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 <laughs> uh, he was great, and he was great for them all year. Yes, he came off the disabled list, um, but as Chase pointed out last Thursday when we were talking about um, matchups, I think, uh, you mentioned the run scoring differential for the Braves versus the Reds this year. So, yes, it's easy to win seven games for a guy like that because Atlanta scores a lot of runs. Now, in our text thread last night, I said, I think game one is hugely important because I think that the Reds have a starting pitcher advantage in game one, and they have to take advantage of it. Um, as it turns out, the Reds did have a starting pitcher advantage. Like, just because they neither team scored any runs in the first 12 innings um, doesn't mean that Trevor Bauer didn't completely outpitch um, Freyd and – they had opportunities as we're going to talk more about. Um, whereas Atlanta didn't Acuna had a leadoff double off Bauer in the fourth, fifth I think sixth or fourth. Um, and that's it. Like yeah. uh, the, the Bauer was Bauer was fucking great. Um, we're just going to keep talking about Joey Votto all night. And I hope that today's game does not leave a sour taste in Trevor Bauer's mouth for a reunion next year with the Reds. I, I agree with I agree with you, Sox, but I don't know how it couldn't. I mean, you go out and you pitch seven and two-thirds inning, 12 strikeouts, you're going to win the Cy Young, and this team can't advance you in the playoffs. I mean, maybe they'll, maybe they'll win the next two games. Maybe they'll win the next two games, but like Game one, based on that performance as a game, they should have won. 
I, yeah, I mean, no one's going to argue that. So um, can we, okay, can we kind of veer a little bit here and talk about, I think we all acknowledge the last two and a half weeks of the season that David Bell did an incredible job. But I think you have to manage, and I didn't think, I thought he did a pretty good job with the pitching today. I, I did. Um, other than I probably, the Lucas Sim thing, I probably wouldn't have brought him in it when he did, even though it worked out really well for the Reds. Um, and I probably would have stuck with Bauer longer and Iglesias longer, but he got him through 12 innings without any run. So you can't knock the pitching. But I think, I think too, Brian, that just I, as I've watch, been watching a lot of playoff baseball in the last couple of days, I think something that you have to keep in mind is that the Reds are hoping to obviously play tomorrow and Friday. And so all these guys that pitched today, that pitched an inning today, or in Iglesias's case, an inning and a third, they want them to be able to go tomorrow and Friday. Right. That I understand. But I also am approaching this from I want to win today. I don't necessarily care about tomorrow because a win today is more important than what's going to happen tomorrow right now. But the pitching, I thought he did pretty well. What did you guys think of his lineup decisions? And then, I mean, seriously, what are, what are we doing calling a double steal on the first pitch to Matt Davidson in a 0-0 game? Give the guy a chance to hit. I mean, is that the dumbest play call by a manager that he acknowledges publicly that you can remember? The lineup I thought was was I thought again he pulled all the right strings. Like you could people would say, Oh well, no show go. Well, Nick Senzel had two hits and uh Aristides Aquino had two hits. So what are you gonna say about that? You're not benching Jesse Winker, you're not benching Nick Castellanos, so those are your other options. Um so in that situation, it worked. The double steal, I, I don't know what he was fucking thinking. Like, that was stupid. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how you justify that. I'll give him credit for coming out and <laughs> admitting that he called it. Um, I will do that. I mean, but <laughs> Also, though, if you're going to do that, what was, like – it seemed like Aquino didn't know what the play call was because he didn't break yeah. for home until after the ball was already in the second baseman's hands. Right, and yeah. he went back to third base with his head, like he wasn't alert, looking around. Like what do I like? It and I, I don't know if that's a decoy. Like that was a weird. Thing. Yeah. And and truth be told, if Aquino like dives, he might have got in. Yeah. The, the 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 third baseman. I don't think he tagged his ass. I think I don't think he touched him until Aquino's foot came up, and that's where he got him. Um, in which case, as was pointed out on the text thread, that uh, he never touched the plate, or unless he dragged. I didn't, it did, if he would have dove, then maybe he's safe. I don't know. Um, so that was bizarre. Yeah. Uh, back to the lineup. Though the only thing I would have done differently is I understand you're facing a lefty, and I understand Aquino had two hits. But to me, I would have probably been rolling with the guys that have been playing the best baseball for the last two and a half weeks, and Shogo has to be on that list. So I would have been playing Shogo in left, Senzel in center. And the other thing that was kind of dumbfounding to me is I, I, I like Kyle Farmer, obviously. You guys know I'm a Kyle Farmer fan. But how is Kyle Farmer starting this game at shortstop? That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't care if Freddie Galvis is – you know, you start Garcia or Galvis, one of the two, because yeah. there were a couple situations where Farmer's defense put Bauer in probably tougher situations than he should have been. He got out of them, but I'm thinking specifically when Albies was up there, he hit a ground ball to Farmer that should have been an out in the shift, and Farmer didn't make the play. Like, I know I'm maybe I'm nitpicking here, but I'm just saying in a three game best of three series, you got to roll with your best guys. And I didn't feel like they did that today. I think the farmer thing, and I'm a, I'm Kyle Farmer guy too. I think the farmer thing was, I don't, I think it was weird only because he hasn't been like Kyle Farmer started at shortstop four times this year. And he was fantastic. Like he is a very good defensive shortstop. I would argue that he's a better defensive shortstop than. Um, Galvis, because Galvis coming into this year has 
a bad zone rating. And then he also this year, but the, the, the thing was with him that he would make the play on the ball that's hit right to him. Well, this year he didn't do that quite a few times. And so then they turned to Garcia, who's stellar defensively, but he's next to zero with the bat right now. So it was creative thinking and what I would probably call overthinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the farmer one doesn't, but I, I think the I think 2020 one. on it because it didn't hurt anything. It didn't cost anything. Yeah. It didn't. Um, obviously, if it cost them a run and they lost one nothing in nine innings, right? And we'd be talking about it. But Farmer had a couple big at bats where he struck out. That's yeah, true. As a, as a um, that's true too. I think that um, the situation where Barnhart, where Kyle Farmer, I think that was in the twelfth, where Kyle Farmer and Barnhart struck out. Um, honestly, I would tell you that for situational hitting, those are probably two of the top three guys on this team in my mind that I would want up in that situation. So, and I know this is I'm just me thinking here. Um, I know they showed it, but never really seemed to be committed to it. But in that situation, you're zero, zero in the 12th. You got first and third, you got one out and Tucker Barnhart is up. And they showed it. But I mean, to me, that's just, Let's try and get a run. Let's do the squeeze. And I would have been fine if they would have done that. And they hit into an out there and, you know, it happens. But we're in the 12th inning. You got to try and take advantage of it. Right. And I, would, I really just that's, – that's one situation in that game that I really thought um, was mishandled. Um, I think I they think, wanted to squeeze. I think they wanted to, safety walk, to squeeze. I think, right? So – I think he walked on that to load the bait. Did he load the, I don't know, whatever it was, but. I think they wanted to safety squeeze there. Um, he struck out in one at bat with. The, so that would have been that at bat. Yeah. So that's. Okay. The, they pulled it. No, they, he tried to bunt. They pulled it. They stopped it on three and one. Cause then he swung at two back to back. Yeah. Two balls. Two balls. Um, and I think, I don't, I don't know what is in the mind of the Atlanta Braves pitcher, but he threw two or three straight pitches that were over Tucker's head. Um, and I don't know if they were trying to dissuade him from bunting or if that the, the bunt shim showing butt was throwing the pitcher off. I don't, I don't know. It was a weird at bat, but I totally agree with you that the, the safety squeeze would have been a good play there. And I mean, this is second guessing a play we've already talked about, but in the, whatever inning that was where they had first and third and the, the double steal with two outs. Like, okay, if, if you want to have some action, let's call a hit and run then. Let's not just call a double steal to steal home plate. What? What? All right. That, that one is going to haunt us for a while as far as just a weird managerial decision. Um, I thought that as you kind of alluded to, Brian, the bullpen, the much maligned Cincinnati Reds bullpen um, was outstanding. I don't think that you, I mean, in a 13 inning game, Amir Garrett comes in. Um, one thing that we were talking about was the possibility of walking Freddie Freeman. Um, after reading some stuff and listening to some stuff, uh, that was the second hit that Amir Garrett's given up this year to a left-handed hitter. Um so I think that was the right call. And it's not any easier. Like Freddie Freeman's probably going to be the NL MVP. But when you look at Freddie Freeman's numbers next to Marcelo Zuna's, um, pick your poison. One guy's left-handed, one guy's right-handed. David Bell said, we're going to go lefty on lefty because that's Amir Garrett's strength. And, uh, and Freddie Freeman did what every Cincinnati Reds batter that had an opportunity to do so couldn't. He shortened his swing. He hit a ball back up the middle on the line. Like, on a line. I mean, good piece of hitting. Yeah, I don't think you can fault any anybody on the pitching staff today. It's all on on the offense. You you can't go thirteen innings and not score a run. Like, I think the Castellanos getting thrown out at third. Um, that I 
I didn't see the first five and a half or six innings of this game. Um, that I liked the aggressiveness on that on that by the Reds. I think that that was a bang bang play. I never saw that. Was it? It's like a perfect throw. I mean, the throw that Duvall made was in the absolute perfect spot. If it's two feet left of where he catches the ball, he's safe. I mean, it, it was yeah. really good. That that is what it is. Now, having said that, the Reds also know that David Duvall is a great defender, and he won a Gold Glove here. Um, Adam Duvall. Or Adam Duvall, David Duvall golfs. Hmm. Uh, David Duvall, Duvall does have an open championship to his name, though. Uh, he does. And if he was in left field, the Reds would have sent Vado on that big <laughs> to the left. Um, but speaking of saying the wrong names, what's everybody drinking tonight? It's 1792 small batch. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm taking it easy. I'm just drinking uh, Boston Lager right now. Boston Lager. Uh, I got a little bit of Four Roses Small Batch Select, which is a new one for me, and I like it. Um, so I I like the aggressiveness on that. Like it, it, like you said, it took a perfect throw, and he made it. I think that that's part of winning baseball and playoff baseball is applying pressure to the other team and making them beat. So I guess the question I have then with that comment, Sox, is, and I know the situation, right? You got one out, you got Joey Votto in second base. You're in the, what, ninth, tenth? Was that, I mean, that was late in the game, right? That was yeah. the 13th when, when. Uh, yeah, I don't remember what it was. Yeah, when Votto didn't score. But you got Suarez up, and he has a line drive, and, you know, relatively hard. With the aggressiveness that you've been playing with all game, to me, again, just based on how you're hitting, that's a situation where I send Jerry Votto and make Duvall make another hell of a throw. Um, I think I would agree. Again, I think Joey, as they show on the replay, Joey's first move is back to a second. Yeah. Which I, he's probably dead meat. But and I don't understand how he's how that's his you first move. You got to put the pressure on. Him. You got to put the pressure on. Him. You haven't gotten a big hit in twelve innings, and you have a chance. And you put all the pressure on a journeyman left fielder to make a perfect throw to keep the game tied in the twelfth inning, thirteenth inning, whatever it is. It just that just doesn't jive with how they ran the bases the rest of the game. Me, it again, like without seeing the where Joey is when Duvall secures the ball, I thought for sure that Joey was going to score because Duvall had to come towards the line to get yeah. that ball. It was not hit right to him. Um, I thought for sure he would score, but then they show the replay and Joey kind of hesitated slash went back and then, so without seeing like, but. My my only point is is if the third base coach, if Joey is not at third base yet, when Duvall has the ball, then Joey trying to score is almost like the double steal. Like why run into an out? Like I understand what you're saying as far as putting pressure, but also putting pressure is running into an out. Like it, well, also at that point you got to remember there were no outs or one out maybe. I don't know what it was. So, you know, I, I agree with you, Matt. Like, you have to score. In Major League Baseball, there is no reason for not scoring from second base on a base hit in the outfield, especially in that circumstances in, in that game. That's my thing. But they still the should have gotten him in. There was one out. Now, to me, Sox, the biggest – you talked about one of the biggest momentum killers or biggest moments in the game was Castellanos getting thrown out at third base. To me, one of the biggest moments in the game – I mean, it's easy to say this in hindsight, but at the time it happened, I was like, here we fucking go again, was single-single to lead off the game, and then we can't get a guy in from third base with no outs. Like with with our three and four hitter coming up, happened twice in this game, um, and I didn't see the first inning. I 
I was kind of following on the MLB um, app. Were those, I think there was a couple line out, ground out, whatever, to the right side. Were those hard hit balls? Was there a little bit of, um, I don't want to say this, but was there a little bit of bad luck there as far as. Let's put it this way. Vado's hit to first base wasn't hit hard enough to turn two. Okay. So I don't think it was hit that terribly hard. Suarez, uh, I don't, I don't remember. I think his was a soft line drive, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah. yeah. To the shortstop. Yeah, both on first. I mean, what first or second pitches too? I mean, it wasn't like they were. Yeah, he he made nine pitches in the first inning and faced five batters. That must right. be part of the scouting report. Um, right, which I, I mean, I think played out because after the first inning, they really didn't get anything going for a while. Once he started throwing all breaking balls, they they couldn't hit it. Yeah. All right. Well, having said that, um, let's talk a little bit about the rest of the series. And is there hope? Is this over? Um, I think that as a Cincinnati fan. I think I'm programmed to believe that tomorrow's game will either be actually, this isn't really as a Cincinnati fan. This is just as a baseball fan. Tomorrow's game will either be a three or four run win for either team. I don't think you're going to see another impeccably pitched intense two one game or anything like that. I think that, also, based on the who the starting pitchers are, uh, Matt alluded to an advantage for the Reds tomorrow as far as the starting pitch, pitching goes. I am 50-50 on who has the advantage because I'm 50-50 on Luis Castillo this year. Luis Castillo was 50-50 this year. He was either good yeah, or bad. I'm breaking that off his last you know, month and a half of performances. Yeah, so. I would I would honestly feel better if he didn't – if he pitched – the exact same way he has been on Saturday against the Twins. Maybe that was just getting work in. Maybe that was he was hungover. I don't know. Like all possibilities. Um, and then this kid that is pitching for the Braves. Um, I think I the kid that's pitching for the Braves tomorrow. I think was selected two spots behind Nick Senzel. And um, I think the kid that's pitching for the Braves Friday was selected like four or five spots behind Hunter Green just to fuel Brian's fire a little bit. <laughs> um, I think it doesn't need right. any fuel socks. <laughs> I think that's right. Uh, I read something about that. Um, but my point is is that we have two postseason inexperienced young starting pitchers. So really, we have no idea what to expect. Other than Brian, who uh, – I think he thinks he knows what's going to happen. No, I mean, here's what I would say. I think the fact that we've got a right-hander for the Braves going tomorrow makes setting the lineup easy, getting your best lineup in there. You're going to see Galvis at short. You're going to see Akiyama in left. And then you're going to see Tucker behind the plate with Senzel in center, Castellanos, Mustakas, Vado, Suarez. So I think you got your best offensive lineup on the field. Um, I, I do think hopefully Luis Castillo was just, you know, a little off in Minnesota. Maybe he was hungover or, or whatever, but I think he'll bring his A game. Um, I'm just not sure what's going to happen. I think you're going to see one of two things. I think you're either going to see the Reds come out and, like you said, Sox win by two or three runs, or you're going to see a Braves win like, seven to one or something. And I think it's going to hinge on what happens in the first couple innings. So I hope it's a Reds win, but after, after today, I also could see where you're just like, they're just emotionally crushed after that. And if Castillo comes out and isn't feeling it right away, the Braves jump on him early and it's over. So my prediction was going to be Reds in three, but that was based on them winning today. Um, so in my heart, 
I think they're going to lose tomorrow, but since I'm a homer, I'll stick with my prediction of Reds in three. I mean, we got to stick with the prediction because we can't predict stuff after we've already seen a game. Right. Um, I I forget what I was going to say. There was something in there that I was going to talk about. But... I'm sure it was very insightful. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> um, Matt, what are you feeling about tomorrow? Um. Oh, I knew what I was going to say. Hold on one second. I knew what I was going to say. Yeah, go ahead. When you said that you could see them being down or dejected or frustrated or whatever from today, that's not acceptable. That's the manager's job to talk to the team tomorrow or today or today and tomorrow and to say, look, guys, this isn't fucking over. We have a guy who made the all-star team last year pitching for us tomorrow. He's one of the best young pitchers in baseball. We're going to hand him the ball. We're going to score him some runs. Let's fucking go. And then we're going to do this again on Friday. And we have another fucking all-star pitching on Friday, former all-star. So let's go. Like there can't be that, that yeah, feeling I, can't be real. Uh, I mean, given how the season's going, I don't, I, I think that's probably the least of what the concern should be. I mean, this team was six games under 500 with two weeks to go and they finished the season two games over 500. So, um, David Bell, I think if one thing is clear, it's clear that he can keep a locker room sort of together um, and even kind of showed it last year when they were just horrendous for the first you know two months of the season and then kind of picked it up as the season went along. So, you know, I think they'll be ready to go. Um, you know, how do you predict how the starting pitchers are going to come out? You know, I have no idea. I, I think the Reds still win the series. Um, that is a blatant homer, just what? fan. Pick. Um, I tend to not um, get too emotionally involved in Major League Baseball, but I, I think this team um, – is built for a situation that they're in right now. Um, you know, all it takes is one swing of a bat for this series to kind of break wide open. And they've shown that if they get that, they can, they can get hot. And so let, Hey, let's see if we can do it. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think they'll still win the series and I would just really love to see them get the opportunity to play in Houston and the NLDS and NL potentially CS because that ballpark sets up perfectly for this, this, this team. That's very true. Um, and I think that'd be, I mean, it'd be an absolute blast. Um, it'd be awesome. But that, that ballpark, like, man, alive the way this, again, the way that they're built, all the power righties that they have and that short porch and left in Houston, bring and, it on. And I think that, um, based on who knows, like the, the Cubs are in the same position as the Reds. Yeah. They lost today. Um, so the Reds would be potentially looking I, I mean, it doesn't like if the Reds get there, the Cubs could obviously get there just as easily. Um, but sure. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not super frightened by the Cubs. Um, I, I think it'd be fascinatingly, intriguingly fun to play the Marlins just cause I don't know shit about the Marlins. I didn't think I had to, um, but Hey, they showed me wrong today. Um, I, I've been back and forth about the rest of the series, but I'm going to, I'm going to buck up and go with positive and say they win tomorrow. And, and that's going to take a gem by Castillo. And then I think that Friday's matchup is the one that I just want to get to, because I think that that's the one where they have a really clear advantage, uh, with Sonny Gray. And then. Atlanta's pitcher is another young guy that uh, I want to say he's got like a ERA of four and a half or something like that. Um, so tomorrow will be interesting. Um, but hey, yeah. I think they it, it's they play another game. So uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're one down and a best of three. You know, they're it's a three-two series. Let's let's see what happens. You know, if they lose. You know, it sucks. Um, you know, there's no consolation prize, but they've turned it around. They made the season fun. Yep. And 
you know, I'll take it. I, I do want to touch on one thing real quick. Um, for about the first five innings of this game, you know, I'm sitting down, down in my basement, you know, office working, have the game on TV. I just want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Um, I think Major League Baseball playoffs loses the most by the current COVID sort of environment so far from what I've seen. Um you know, the, a game like today, could you imagine with 45,000 fans right. what that stadium is like, just the energy in that place, the nervous energy in that place, and how that potentially impacts pitchers on both teams? Um, I don't think it would have gone to 13 innings if there were 45,000 right. yeah. screaming fans there. Exactly. Exactly. And that's kind of the point. But it just um, – you know, I was still nervous and anxious for it, but when the Reds didn't do something or when they got out of a big inning, it was like, all right, but like, eh, you know, all right. It just didn't feel to me big yet. Once I, guess, I got to the that makes sense. With every pitch, like I was fist pumping and pumping or punching couch pillows. And uh, I mean, I was, yeah, I was into it. That's, that's the other thing that I was going to say is that I was living and dying with every pitch for 13 innings, which was fun. Like you said, yes. they, they made the end of the season fun. Um, and I can't imagine being a Braves fan because as Reds fans, just in our text thread, we felt like they were walking the tightrope. The Reds did not walk a tightrope like fucking Braves did half the innings, uh, especially all the innings except for one that Trevor Bauer pitched. Um and then we've already talked about all the opportunities that the Reds had. The Braves didn't really have a lot of guys in scoring position until they did and they won. Yeah. Well, that kind of gets back to the point of the lack of fans. I mean, I mean, just do you think about it, first and third, no outs, first inning. This is the same team last year in the wild card round. They're in an elimination game against the Cardinals at home, and they give up a 10 spot in the top of the first to the Cardinals. Yep. So that's the last playoff experience that they have at home in front of 45,000 people or whatever it holds. And the Reds come out and get two hits back-to-back. I'm not to say the Reds do anything with it, but it just kind of amplifies every situation that you're in. Yeah. Um, well, I think – and you're right to the to – the, detriment almost of a home field advantage is that when they're starting pitcher, when there's, when the crowd's all frothing at the mouth and riled up and making a bunch of noise before the game. And then they're just dead silent the first two hitters of the game. Mm-hmm. And then they're looking around like, Oh shit, here we go again. Like, yeah, that's a great point. Well, I just, I just noticed that today, the first few innings, how just kind of for what 2012, 2013 was like, and just kind of how stressful those times are as a fan. Yeah. And they're still stressful today, but when you kind of hear the crowd in the stadium and you can sense the stressful moments, it certainly um, has to translate over to the players, I would think. And, you know, who knows? Again, whatever. It is what it is. That's how the season's going to be. But um, just something. That- yeah. Um, I, I appreciate the point because um, I didn't think like I, it's kind of like I, I I get lost in the in the moment without realizing that it could be different because it's like well this is what we're we've been doing for sixty games so sure. um, so transitioning to uh, another week and another Bengals cover and yeah. not. A Bengals lost. So, another opportunity for the Bengals to win, but they didn't lose. And I'm sure that there's going to be at least one of you. I don't know. I don't really know how Matt feels about everything last week, but uh, I'm sure I know how Brian feels about that game. But honestly, like, I walked away like, oh, they didn't lose. Like, uh, <laughs> it's a tie. Like, uh, Wouldn't you rather lose and get a higher draft pick at this point to get that – 
that best tackle available? Uh, yeah, they dropped five spots in the draft by time. Five? Yeah, because they're behind now all the 0-3 teams. That's fair. Um, that winning percentage ticked up a couple percentage points by time. Well, um, that's pathetic. I, I don't know. I listen to that sentence. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we can talk about draft picks all you want, but they got to draft the right guy. So, have they proven an ability throughout the years to do that on the offensive line, whether they're picking in the top 10 or wherever? We'll see. Um, but we're not talking no. about the draft yet because we're not there. Um, so, the Bengals tied the Eagles last weekend in. Um, and the Eagles, like the Eagles outbangled the Bengals in a lot of ways. Yes, they came down the field with a minute left or whatever and scored, which we all saw coming. Um, but they also had a 59 yard field goal lined up in overtime to win it and jumped off st- and jumped off sides. Um, so like the Eagles had plenty of moments of futility themselves. Carson Wentz was not very good. Joe Burrow was spectacular. The Bengals offensive line was not very good. The Bengals defense had moments. They definitely pressured the quarterback more. Um, but when it mattered, they had two huge pass interference penalties. Um, and that makes me wonder about Trey Wayne's like how much, how much help would he be? Now, granted, the guy that wouldn't be playing if Trey Waynes was playing, LaShawn Sims uh, did have a big interception. So, uh, thoughts on the Bengals will go this way first with uh, Matt. Well, my first thought um, was I was driving home from a golf trip, so I didn't get to watch a second of this game until about – I got home with like eight minutes left in overtime. Um, so I was listening to Lap and Ford, um, kind of the way home, and just gonna say a very refreshing way to endure a Cincinnati Bengals football game. Um, they really, they really do a good job, and um, it just kind of makes it enjoyable whether the Bengals are doing something completely ridiculous or not. Um, Big fan of Lap and Ford. So, or Lap's kind of like a. That's kind of like Marty, like with his brutal honesty, like he's just got to do it better. Like, you know, like, and, and he does it in kind of a oafy, loud, yeah. funny way. Um, and Dan Hort's definitely the straight man on that one. Uh, yeah. So, I'm confused how Lapham is still has all this optimism. Like, how has he not just been, how has this optimism right. not just been beaten into submission at this point? Because not everybody's like you, Brian. I mean, I generally am an, am an optimist, but after a while, like, you got to be an idiot yeah. to be an optimist about the Bengals, don't you? He also gets paid probably somewhat handsomely to. Yeah, true. So, you know. So he doesn't really care. As Marvin Lewis would say, do your job, laugh. <laughs> I think coming away from uh, get back on track here. Um Oh, come on. Where's the fun in that? Cutting away from the game, I think the only bright – there's two bright spots for me, um, and that's really about it, uh, is Joe Burrow and then T. Higgins. Um, I don't give the defense any credit for how they played in that game. Um, (laughs) Philadelphia – I mean, truthfully, I don't. Philadelphia is down – what all they had was Zacherts, or was that that's his name, right? Yeah, Zacherts. Yep. Uh, They're down. All of their receivers. Yeah, all their star wide receivers are hurt. They're not playing. Um, you know, I thought Burrow did a great job. I love seeing the emergence of T. Higgins. I've been beating that drum since when they drafted him. I am a huge fan of him, and I think he's going to be a stud. And I think he's going to be the number two wide receiver on this team by the end of this year. Um, I, to me, that was if you can't beat the Eagles in that situation, I, I just I, I left that game very discouraged with how 
the future prospects of this team are. Um, I think it's mismanaged. I think that game was very mismanaged. Um, By your guy? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't I don't think he coached a good game at all. I think his defensive coordinator is a joke. Um, the offensive coordinator is fine, you know, uh, whatever. The, the offense line is a huge issue, so that's going to throw everything that the offensive does kind of out the window. I mean, how do you judge this run game when they don't have an offensive line that can block anybody? Um, well, I mean, Brian Callahan, like, there's nothing. I don't to know what he does. Yeah. yeah, what's he doing? Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I for the first time – and it might have taken a little longer than it did for Brian. But for the first time, I am starting to really get discouraged with some of the decision-making that the head coach is making. Because that is a game that they should have won. There's no doubt in my mind that they should have won that game. Um, what examples do you have of the game management out of curiosity? Well, okay, it's, it's, it's the same issues keep cropping up, right? Uh, and at some point, it's on the coaches to fix a problem that you have. Um, exhibit A. Philadelphia Eagles scored two touchdowns in that game. And both touchdowns were scored in with less than 20 seconds left in both halves. And we both knew, as, or as we, all, we all knew as soon as they got the ball, that they were going to drive right down the field and score. Because this coaching staff has no idea how to handle two minutes on defense. And the touchdown at the end of the first half was a, what, 31-yard, like, wide-open play after a timeout. Oh, yeah, it's like, what are you? Somebody. They, they just what are you doing? And at some point, yeah. it just it relies on coach. It goes back to coaching. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm certainly more discouraged on the defensive side of the ball than I am the offensive side of the ball. And that might be counterintuitive to what people are watching, but um, – the defense has to come up and make a play and they have to figure out a way to get a stop in a big situation when they're winning football games. That's a key difference because, you know, they can't close out close games, close games. They haven't under Taylor's watch yet. Uh, I hope it changes because I like him. Uh, and I, I, I like his personality. I like kind of what he's doing offensively outside of the offensive line and just their – kind of the plays and stuff that they run. I mean, it's a fun offense to watch when they get into and Burrow has time, but oh man, uh, I'm scared to see what happens in two weeks when they go to Baltimore because um, I don't have any trust in the defense. Maybe Burrow will come down with COVID before that game. Maybe. Well, two things that I'll say about I mean, the coaching staff um, that this is beer, by I was going to say, that's an aggressive pour. Hey, it was a tough day. Um, two things I'll say about hey, coaching staff that, uh, that reflect directly on Zach Taylor is I think that your offensive line issues and his faith in Jim Turner and then Jim Turner's faith in the, in the guys that are here is a problem. Um, Jim Turner doubled down again on those statements today saying that the guys that they need to fix the problem are in the building and so on and so forth. And that's just, that can't be the case. Um, same goes for Lou Anarumo when it comes to not like, and, and I, I don't know that much about football defenses, um, but yeah, the, the, TV guys, ironically, as you were pointing out the greatness of Lap and Horde, the TV guys were talking about the Bengals' two-minute defense in the first half and saying, I don't know why. they've got These guys have been getting stops, and now all of a sudden they're playing zone, and they're giving big It's, just, it's the same thing every week. It's right. the same thing every week. It's And this goes back to the Marvin Lewis days. For some God knows reason, the Bengals just don't know how to play defense in the last two minutes of games. It's insane. I mean, I called it on our group text both times. Eagles are going to get out of score. All right, Bengals are going to lose in overtime. And it's just 
you know the story before it's written and you know uh, that game was just very frustrating that's that's certainly a game that they should have won no doubt in my mind so i totally agree with you about t higgins and uh i was a little bit encouraged by the return of a pass rush and now they have to get the quarterback to the ground when they get there, which was a problem for Lawson once and for Hubbard once. Um, those guys have both ended up redeeming that with a sack later, but that doesn't change the situation where they should have had the sacks that they were there. Um, and also Carlos Dunlap played a, a decent game, which is important because I don't know if he's going to be around next year, um, but – he needs to be somewhat productive. Uh, we have a, another another guest appearance on the podcast. Um, One of the twins agrees with our assessment of the Bengals. He, he started crying when he just heard us mention the Bengals. They are tear-worthy at times. Yeah. Um... um I don't know. Just frustrating. You know, that's a game. You win that. And again, not to say that this team's a playoff bound team by any means, but you win that game. You come home, you have a winnable game at home against Jacksonville and you are at least in the conversation and you're giving your players something to like believe in and continue to get better for. And that's, all that matters this year is that this team has to get better. Um, and they have to figure out a way to get better on the offensive line, whatever that means, however they do it. But you're not going to do it in meaningless games, I don't think. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I could be wrong on that. But, you know, we saw the offensive line got better last year in the second half running the football um in the second half of the season but yep. what is that translated to so far this year nothing nothing um so it's these types of games early in the season where they just have to show improvement and they gotta start winning games i mean it just comes down to that they have to start winning these close games i mean taylor's what owen 10 now in one score games well well no because that yeah i mean he is owen 10 uh, sorry, yeah, oh, 10 and 1. He tied. Uh, yeah. But, uh, and they should be they should be 2 and 1 right now. Real, and, absolutely. And they shouldn't be they shouldn't have beat Cleveland based on how they played. No. But they absolutely should have beat San Diego or LA and they should have won last week. And how does that flip, right? Like how does that change things if you just win one of those games? And it gives Burrow more it, like it gives him more confidence. It, it just gives everyone more confidence. And, you know, if they don't come out and beat Jacksonville, well, then you got a big problem because then you go to Baltimore and you're not winning that game probably. No. Like, and it, it just snowballs from there. And I don't want them to fire Zach Taylor because I think that's the worst thing for Joe Burrow. Right. Um, but at the same time, you gotta start winning games. I think that. I, I mean, I'm 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 an idiot. I'm an eternal optimist. Um, but it's reasonable to think that in two weeks, three weeks, they could be two, three, and one. Um, the Indianapolis game looks more winnable than yeah. it did, just as the Philadelphia game. We all marked that as a loss, and it was a tie. Yeah. Um, that team is not good. I mean, they're bad. Uh, and the Bengals just, at certain moments, like you said, just couldn't get it done. Yeah, and that's – yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting to watch. You know, I'm excited to watch him play just because I, mean, I will say Burrow has made this team a heck of a lot more fun to watch. Um, and he's the real deal. That play that didn't count was sick. Yeah. 
yeah. I mean, he's the real deal. Um, but they need to win a game or two for him. So. Yeah, and I mean, like we'll we'll talk about. Um, I mean, we have the the whole off season to talk about Bengals needs, but I feel like as as the losses mount, we're probably going to talk more and more about what they need to do to improve the team. And it's no secret that the offensive line's a problem. But I mean, I just said this eight minutes ago, like to hear their offensive line coach say, and I know like he's got to say certain things like, but he doesn't have to say, yes, we believe that the fix is in the room. Like he can say, well, that's what we're trying to find out right now because right now they haven't played up to that level and we're not accepting what has happened so far. Instead he's saying Bobby Hart gets picked on and he's underrated and like those kind of statements I, again, I don't care if you're just saying it for the press. It doesn't do any good for the fan base. No. No, it doesn't. Um, and so it's – they're going to have to make some changes if this – coaching staff-wise, I think, if this offensive line doesn't get better. I just don't – I don't know. Uh, you can't have – Burrow just cannot continue to get hit 12 and 13 times. Like he is. It's just not not realistic, not reasonable. And um Well I, I, I think that you are alluding to something that really no one had ever really experienced until last year when you know the the Colts went through that whole saga with Peyton Manning and they sucked for luck. And then they got Andrew Luck, and there was never a scenario in the NFL where a quarterback just was like, I'm getting beat up too much. And the Colts, by the way, have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Um, but he just walked away from the game, and the Colts had their franchise quarterback. They were building around him. They had, like I said, one of the best, if not the best offensive line in the NFL. They – drafted a receiver this year like they were starting to kind of build that machine and then they had to start over because they didn't have the quarterback position anymore and I don't I I will tell you that I think that Andrew Luck is a different dude than Joe Burrow I think the the passion and the fire and the leadership abilities of Joe Burrow probably exceed that of Andrew Luck Andrew Luck kind of comes off as more of a studious um I think that Andrew Luck probably has a lot more interests in life than just football. And I'm not saying that Joe, Joe Burrow is a dumb guy or a jock or whatever, but I think that football is a passion for Joe Burrow. And I think that winning is uh, in his blood. And I think that he doesn't strike me as the guy that would walk away, but the other situation that you can run into is a David Carr or was it David Carr or who's the car that's. Yeah. David yeah. Carr. Uh, the one that for the Texans. Yeah, where he took like he got sacked like yeah. sixty times his rookie year. Yeah, and then was gun shy and never really kind of bounced back from that. Um that's the other possibility that's out there. So you don't want to ruin Burrow in one season. Um and Matt on last week's podcast, I don't know if you listened, but uh Brian get around the whole thing yet. Brian mentioned that maybe they do need to look at starting Brian Finley at some point just to see you know if they're 0-8 or 1-7 and and 1 or whatever it is 1-6 and 1 I mean there's just absolutely no reason for him to keep going out there right but you you can't justify that he won't go for that unless he's really dinged up like if he's healthy he's going to play the problem is is he going to be healthy? Because the offensive line is just, I, I mean, he didn't, the offense, you guys may have touched on this, but the offense Sunday had multiple chances in the second half to win the game, to punch in touchdowns, and they couldn't do it. And the reason they couldn't do it is because Burrow didn't have, one, they couldn't run the ball, and went, and then they Burrow didn't have any time to throw the ball. Like, for anybody to look at this offensive line and not say it's a complete sham and it's just a, a joke 
is ridiculous. You can't look at this with open eyes and say it's anything other than just a, a atrocious. Like it, it's it's awful. I so Matt, to your point on, on how bad the defense was, I get it. The defense probably wasn't as good as it should have been. But like, if they have an offensive line, how many games have they won at this point? At least two. Well, I mean, I think if they had a defense that could nut up and get a stop, they'd be two and one as well. Yeah, true. And that's where they spent the money in the offseason. But the thing, the thing that I've they said, they couldn't get off the field in Cleveland, and you spent a hundred and fifty million dollars or whatever it was on defense. Now, granted, one of the players is hurt, right. but I mean, Baker Mayfield shredded this defense, but. Um, I, I guess my point on the whole thing. Baker is, Mayfield didn't hurt the defense as much as Nick Chubb. And yeah, Curry. they couldn't. They couldn't stop the run. If you can't stop the run, you can't do anything. Long passes. But my my thought is like, and this is okay. This is one of the many frustrating things about the Cincinnati Pro teams is like, you know, you're going to draft draft Joe Burrow. Fucking protect him. Go out and spend money on your offensive line and fix your defense next year. You know you're not going to turn it around and win 10 or 11 games this year. So if you got $115 million to spend, go get a right tackle. Go get a right guard. Go get a left guard. You think you have your left tackle in Jonah Williams? Fine. Fill the other holes on your offensive line. It's just preposterous to me that that's not what Duke Tobin and the coaching staff was going after. And, and I think the first three games have shown that, that that's exactly what they should have been doing. Give up 60 points for all I care. Protect Joe Burrow. I'm not arguing with that at all, at all. I totally agree with you, and that's what our point was as far as – or my point was as far as can you trust the coaching staff if the coaching staff really thinks that the offensive line is – that the guys that they have in the building are able to get the job done. Well, it goes back to what I said earlier. It's I think that they thought that they figured something out last year in the last – six games of the season with the offensive line. And it's very clear through three games that they've done it. Um, and I don't necessarily fault them for that because the offensive line was better the last six weeks of the season last year. And there's no way to argue that it wasn't. They got better. Yep. But like I said, they were meaningless games that didn't matter. And I think it's a heck of a lot easier for players and I, you know, I could be way off base on that, but they have to learn how to play in big games and big moments where things are on the line, and they just they can't get it done offensively or defensively. Well, I think and just, too- just to, like I mean to, to Brian's point real quick, just to give throw aside the defensive struggles that they had in this game. I mean, I'm watching the highlights as we're talking, and the defense in the second half was fine, but the defense the last, again, the two drives when it matters and you have a chance to win the game, the defense is horrendous. And good teams, good coach teams, do not make the mistakes that this team makes on defense in those situations. So one question on that. Are you guys kind of surprised – based on how it went last year. And we know it was a very public coaching search for the defensive coordinator, and they got rebuffed by multiple guys. Are you surprised that Taylor kept Lou and Rumo around for a second year and didn't try to go out and get somebody else? No, not surprised at all, because I think that he probably – I think that, one – Zach Taylor's in his own mind and his own head going, well, I grew into my role a little bit and I'm still growing. So maybe Lou will get better. And I think Zach Taylor was probably like told by Duke in the front office, like, Hey, we're going to go get some pieces for your guy and hopefully improve the defense. So I'm not surprised by that. He won't in my mind, he won't survive this off season or even maybe this in season if um, things keep going when they, when they play week six, when they play Baltimore and give up 45 points, it's, it's, it's premature to talk about this, but if 
they don't win four to five games, is Zach Taylor on the hot seat or does he still have multiple years with Joe Burrow? I don't think you can give up on him, even if they go two and 14 again. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I. You got to give him at least one more year, I think. I would agree. You give him next year, at least the first half of next year to see where things are. But it is kind of an interesting statement. Maybe when the Bengals job came open, it wasn't that interesting to a lot of people. But if it came open right now and you've got Joe Burrow in his second year, that's a pretty interesting job probably for a lot more candidates than would have been interested in it a year ago. I totally agree with that. Um, So we'll move on from last week and turn the page to this Sunday, one o'clock, the Jacksonville Jaguars come to a – Sold out, six thousand seat, Paul Brown Stadium. Um, Bengals are giving three points. Matt, who you got? Jacksonville twenty-seven twenty. <laughs> Did not see that coming. I switched my pick from the regular season. Jacksonville twenty-seven. So I picked the Bill 2017 or 2720? 2720. Okay. Chase? Um, I picked the Bengals to win this game when we did our season pick them, and I'm not going to change that. So I will say Bengals 30. What's the spread? Three. But it's three. the Jacksonville, right? But yeah, the Bengals are giving three. Yeah, all right. I'll say Bengals 30, Jags uh, 26. <laughs> uh, I'll go 27-17 Bengals. Joe Burrow gets his first win. Zach Taylor does not get a win in a one-score game to – keep his streak at 0-11-1. Um, which just means that in the future, Zach Taylor is going to be a blowout head coach. He's just going to win all his games by nine or more. If he makes it that long. Uh, yeah. That's all I got. You guys got anything you want to get off your chest? or? I hope we're talking about the Reds in Houston when we get on here next week. That'd be amazing. I agree. And maybe a Bengals one. I mean, one week could be a really different, really, really different mood on this podcast. But for now, that's all we got. Matt? End the podcast. End the podcast. (laughs) See you guys. See you.